I want to talk about what this series is kind of about, um, and it's about how we are the church. Now, and I mean, the, um, you have the Big C Church, the Church of Jesus Christ, the church that he's gathering his people to himself, and, and uh, we are part of that. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the kingdom of God. I mean, you are part of his work among us, which is amazing just to think about that. So there's the Big C Church. And then what we do here at Family Bible, we call ourselves Family Bible Church, and that's for a purpose because we believe we're part of that Big C Church. Now, we aren't everything, but we are a part of that Big C Church. And so the last few weeks when we talked about uh, dissatisfied, we talked about being creative, and this week we talk about better together, we're talking about ways that we can talk as a community about what it looks like for us to be the church for our portion of it. Does that make sense? So it's, it's really, and it, there's a fancy word, it's called ecclesiology, but it just literally means how the church is the church. And I know we don't spend a lot of time talking about these things because we're far too busy to spend time on things like this, but it's critical. And I, I'll say something about our conviction here at Family Bible Church, and this isn't my conviction, it's our conviction, the leadership team's conviction, that how we are the church and how we're going to be the church is going to be rooted in the word of God. You know what I mean? Like, like if we can't find a, a, why we're doing what we're doing somehow in here, if we can't see it, if, we, if, if God, we open up the word and, and we're doing something and God's like this, nothing about what I'm about, then we're not going to spend time on that. Which is crazy because there's a world who will tell us how to be a successful church. And what they mean is a successful uh, organization or a successful institution. There are uh, loads and loads of books that are beckoning for pastor's attention about how to take your church to the next level. You see what I'm saying? Build a great institution, create a great mechanism to draw a lot of people. But what we want to be about is following the person, Jesus Christ, into his kingdom. Because there are places in the word where it says, did, did we not do many miracles in your name? And he said, I never knew you. And that text rebukes all of our kingdom building of our own. This is his work and his kingdom, and we would be wise to remember it. And so as a church, a family Bible, we're going to be looking at the word and saying, what does the word tell us about how we uh, are to be this church? And this can be specific to us, the people in the room, the people who come and hang out with us. That's, that's unique to who we are. And so a, a few things, and this is a weird thing for me because I'd always much rather, you know, just let's open a book and study it because I love the word and I, the word just preaches directly, but we're spending a few weeks kind of talking about some patterns we th see throughout Scripture, some of these things that inform who we are. And last week we talked about being creative, and if you were here, you know that, about God as a creative being, and I'm not going to rehash it, but then this week I want to talk about um, uh, better together. You know, that's kind of the thought, uh, and we're going to talk about how that comes about and where we see it in Scripture, that we're better together than apart, you see? And how that kind of manifests itself. But I want to start by saying that um, last week we had a big box of crayons. Remember that? Those of you who are here? Had a great big box of crayons. And, and we, I went to great pains to pass them out to all of you before, you know, during the service while we were having our time of worship. And then I talked, first of all, I'll confess something. I said there was no uh, sh sharpener, but after the service, it was right in the back. I just never saw it. <laughs> so just, I just want to admit that it was there. Uh, so it was a really cool box of crayons. I got really excited at the service because I gave all those crayons to you all, and I was really thinking, you know, be creative. You have a hand. You can do. And some of you, you know, use your crayons a lot during the service. I could tell. Um, but I'll tell you how I could tell. Because afterwards, there was a little box up here that had like eight crayons in it. 
We only had like three left when we gave them all away last week. And so I was like, well, that's cool. Only eight crayons. We got eight crayons back. back. But the idea was that y'all took them. That's cool. You took your crayons. You're going to go do something creative with it. That's awesome. And then um, I turned around and we were tearing down. And I look back and I kid you not, the whole box is back up there and it's almost three quarters full. And I said, where did all these crayons come from? And Lisa Scoggins goes, they were all piled in the back table on the way out. And I was just like, oh, are you serious? Now, I'll tell you what. I know I didn't say take your crayons home, and I know they've been in your wash, and they've been broken in your pocket, and it would have been a big mess for you. But there was something to the fact that I want to point out to you that this is what we do too often as the church. That we come here on Sunday, and we have a great experience, and we talk about something that may be cool, maybe boring. We have some awesome worship. We, we get to see people that we love, and then we leave it right there at the door as we walk out and go into our lives. And that isn't what we want to do here. The idea, someone said their crayon was called macaroni last Sunday. You were the only person with a macaroni crayon. <laughs> and you just left it. Now, I tell you the reason I knew some of you used them is because they were worn, some of them were worn down. We were right here 40 minutes last week, and some of them look like you just, just the whole time. You must have just been doing that the whole time. But some of you didn't even smudge your crayon the whole time. It looked perfect. Reminds me of a scripture about that. I just want to say that uh, what we're talking about in this is, is our participation together in the kingdom of God. And that we shouldn't leave things at the door, take them home. And, and I know I'm being silly about crayons, but I'm being serious about us understanding the role we have to play together in the kingdom of God. And so, so I just want to kind of point that out as we get started that uh, didn't quite go off, but it, it's beautiful because God is using it to inform us and instruct us about who we are and who he's calling us to be with things like crayons, right? And so I want to open with prayer and we're going to get right into the word this morning and uh, just kind of talk through um, what Jesus is saying to us about being his people and his church. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you in the name of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. We have full confidence in what you will do uh, in his name and for his glory and your own. And Lord, we know your Holy Spirit is here with us. And your Holy Spirit, we know, Lord, can transform us into the very likeness of Christ. And so today, Lord, we pray that, that our uh, hard hearts would be softened and our closed minds would be opened and, and that we would be putty in your hands and you could, you know, really manipulate us and do your will in our lives and be glorified because you're the creator and we owe it all back to you. And we give you ourselves as readily as we can and then we trust you to do the rest of the work and uh, make us your own in every way, Father. So today as we open your word, open our minds to the truth and uh, give us lives that we can live it. Disciple us in that way, Jesus, that we can live your word. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. So we're going to get into the word this morning. We're going to start like we did last week a little bit in the beginning, you know. Last week we started in Genesis 1. Do you remember that? If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one at the end of the chairs, the end of the row, and um, you can look at along with us. I would highly encourage you to do that. We're going to start again in Genesis 1. So this is a quote that comes from the very beginning. It's Genesis 1, chapter 26. It's page 1. Um, if you have one of our Bibles, you can look at it along with me. And I just want to hear it together and then talk about it really simply for a moment as we get into the Word. This is after the, it says this. Let, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
And then it goes on, but I really want to stop right there because last week we talked about 1-1-A, which is in the beginning God created, right? And then here, as God is continuing his creative work, he says, let us make man in our image. Now, I'll tell you what, when you go to school and they, and they try to teach you like fancy theology stuff, they try to explain things like this. You'll see it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, you know? And, and I've had people try to explain this to me. And uh, the trouble is that I keep looking at this text and all I see is God saying, let us make man in our image. <laughs> what I'm saying is that people have a problem with this right here because they go, now wait a minute, you know, God is one and what's, why, who wrote this book? Because they got it wrong because it says us. Like God is one, but it says us in the Bible and that must have been a mistake or something. And then I've had really smart people try to explain to me how this doesn't really mean us like we think of us like you, me, us, but this means us in a different way, us, because he's, he only one, you know? I don't think that that's, I just, I can't get around it. I think it says us because God the Father and Jesus his Son and the Holy Spirit were there. I think they were conspiring to make us in their image. And, and I, I know that there's one God, but together they were doing this. There's some mystery in it, you know? I don't, but I think that's what it says, the text. Let us make man. You know the word for man is Adam, right? Adam, it means mankind, humans, Adam. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. As a matter of fact, what we believe is, as Christians, as those who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, is that this creative act of God, you know what the word says? It says it was good, very good. God was very pleased when he made man in his image because we were beautiful. It was awesome. It was perfect. It was lovely. It was good and right and holy and pure. And then the sin came through our willfulness against God, against the one who made us. And in that willful act, you know, this becomes broken, and then we talk about Jesus Christ, who is begotten, not made, right? Who, who came from the Father from eternity into the form of a baby, came so that we might restore this image of Christ. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit that Jesus breathes on us in our discipleship with him. He breathes on us and we become transformed into the very likeness of Christ which is God. You see what I'm saying? That this whole narrative, this whole story starts with God working together. In this way, there's this idea that, see, and I think it's so foreign to us, because I don't think it was that foreign to, to the folks who read the Bible originally, this idea of, you know, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me doing something on my own. This was a very normal thing. Yeah, it's us. It would be a community. It wouldn't be, a, you know, the Hebrews said, there's one God creator of all things, Yahweh. And yet in, in the First Testament, there's Elohim. He's referred to as Elohim. He's referred to as Yahweh. It's the creator God, the God of his people. And so I just want to say that, first of all, that there is this precedent for, for God existing in this community setting this, this, this with himself perfectly, not needing anything. And then the most loving thing he could do is to create creatures to enjoy this with him. And he, he just spoke and everything came to be. So I want to start there. And then we're going to talk now, kind of moving out of that into who we are as the people of God and what that looks like in our lives. 
because this is where we kind of get it so wrong. We, we put false expectations on ourselves. We're going to do it all, and, and we don't think we need anybody else. And then it breaks down because this isn't how God intended it, you see, because God made us in his image in the beginning. And so we're going to kind of press on and see what we got next. So we're going to talk about, so everyone has something. We're going to be jumping through several scriptures, and some of them we'll, we'll actually look at, and um, some of them we'll just kind of, I'll read uh, through with you. But go ahead and turn if you would. We're going to flip from, now that was the very beginning. That was page one of your Bible, if you're using one of ours. And now we're going to go ahead and we're going to flip back. And this is going to be our main text today, the main area. 1 Corinthians 12, right? And this is going to jump. Now, I want you to see what's happening as you're flipping there. It's going to be on page 797 if you're using one of our Bibles. We're going to jump from the very beginning when God said, let us make man in our image, right? To the story that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about what it looks like to be the church following Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. And so we're going to jump from the beginning almost to the end, not to the very end of the Bible, but almost to the end of this, this manifestation of the purpose of God among his people. It's, it's amazing if you think about that. Back to before the beginning, I mean before the uh, garden. So here, here's what 1 Corinthians um, 12, 7, just read with me if you would. Because I want you to see that everyone has something. It's like that crayon that we talked about last week. Everyone has something. And you've heard this before, but I want you to hear it again maybe with new ears with me. It says this, now to each one, right, to each one, it says in the text, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, the manifestation of the Spirit is just a gift. I, I'm not going to get into anything. It's just the very presence of God dwelling among us. But each one is given. I want you to see that's what it says. Each one is given for the common good, the manifestation of the Spirit. And then he goes to a list here, Paul does. He says, to one, and he's just given examples, is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And to another, see, not the same one, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. You see what it says in the, in the word here. And to another, uh, faith by the same Spirit. See, that's a third person now involved. And to another, the fourth, gifts of healing by that same Spirit. You see, that's four people involved. And to another, five, miraculous powers. To another, six, prophecy. To another, seven, and distinguishing between spirits to another eight, speaking in different tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And he's building this case to say that there are all these gifts being given, look, to another, to another, but each one has one. That's what he says. Verse 11, all of these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one as he determines. This is God giving out his gifts. And so this might, and we've read that before, right? We've heard that, that everyone, but I want you to understand that there's really an act of, of God here that he says that everybody's getting a little bit of something for my glory and my purpose. Everybody who knows me is getting a little bit of something for my purpose, for my kingdom, and for my glory. So then the question becomes to you and I, as followers of Jesus, we say, well, what did I get? You know what I mean? What is mine? And it also thwarts that thought in our minds that we've been given everything, that we can do it all, you know? A, a Christian that doesn't need anything from anybody. We walk around like that, don't we? We say, I don't need, I'm good. 
I hope that we start to see that in one another. That's 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, right? I'm going to flip now. If you'll flip with me, you can. You don't have to. I think I might have it up on the screen. I can push ahead and we'll probably just about get it right. This is a letter to Ephesians, and it's just right behind 1 Corinthians. We'll read it right up here on the screen. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ. The anointed apportioned it. We talked about that text uh, before in here. I know we have. But we talked about Jesus gave us exactly what we need to do what he's called us to do. So to each one, again, it's affirmed. I just wanted you to see that we're affirming this message that everyone has something. Everyone has been given something if you know Jesus. And that, that's the key. We don't believe that these are self-manifest gifts. These are gifts that we could get no other way but to know Jesus. And he imparts them to us. And so everyone gets something. So the next thing that we're talking about, so we've got this community who created us. We've got, and, and, I mean, it's God. I don't want to get too weird with that. God created us, but I just want you to see that. And then he, he creates us to be together. As a matter of fact, the text, uh, the word says, it's not good that man be, can be alone, should be alone. And he made woman, you know, that we could be complete together. And I think that that goes even beyond that. Just that it's not good that men would be alone. And so we are uh, part of this community then in Jesus where we don't have to worry about not needing anyone else. And so everyone has something. We're, we're then sent out in, in, in uh, groups or sent out together, sent out in pairs. And I want to show you how this happens. Now we're going to jump into the life of Jesus because we're following him, the very person of Jesus who we're following at Family Bible. And so we talk about how we are the church. And I want you to see with me that um, we're going to be following Jesus and doing things like he did it. So it's a big deal when we see that how he did things. The first thing that we're going to talk about from Matthew 10, and you don't have to turn there, but you remember that whenever Jesus was baptized. He came out of the water. He went into the desert. He came back out. And then he began to walk through the town. This is significant. And he starts picking people out of the crowd and says, follow me, follow me. And we call them disciples, right? And actually, these first 12, we don't just call them disciples. What do we call them? Apostles. And apostles, the word actually means sent ones. It means these guys were sent out. They weren't just picked up and they weren't just taught, but they were sent somewhere together. It says, um, he called the 12 disciples and he gave them authority to, to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And the name of the apostles were, and th- this is the ones who then Jesus sent out into the world to do his work, to help him with the kingdom of God. They were sent out together. Now, I, want, I do want you to look at the second thing with me. It's in, uh, it's in Luke uh, chapter 10. So if you turn there, 421. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. We're going to go back there. That's like our main text today. But I want you to see one other thing from the life of Jesus and how, how he built his disciples because he's doing the same thing among us. So turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. It's three verses. It's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward right at the beginning. And you've probably heard this too, and we're just going to talk about this. I just want you to see the, the mechanism that Jesus uses. It says, after the Lord, this is Jesus, appointed 72 others. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them, and look what it says, two by two, ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. Right? 
Actually, we're still in. Oh, we'll do three. We'll go we'll rolling and read it. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And look at three as the command. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And we won't get into that last part. There's a whole lot there. But I want you to see that Jesus, after appointing 72 others, right? So you have the 12 apostles, the disciples, Jesus. He appoints 72 more and he sends them out two by two. I want you to get the image of what he's doing. And he sends them to places that he's going to go. But we see a lot of things he don't, don't do. And I don't want to get too far down that road, but he doesn't send one. I, I think this is a big deal because we right now in the church believe that God sends a man, Right? Have you heard anybody say that? God sends a man to do the work. God sends a person to speak the word. God sends one person he's going to reveal the truth to. I want you to see that in Jesus' ministry, God himself in the flesh, what Jesus did was didn't say, you know, hey, come here, Peter, you're my man. Go do this. What Jesus did is said, you two, go over there. Go and share the kingdom of God. You two, go over there. You two, go over there. And I just love this what the image that we get is this journeying together. We were at uh, Holiday World yesterday. It was a great big group of people, and they had all matching shirts on. And they were purple. Not my favorite color, purple. So I noticed them. And I was looking at them, and I'm like, they look like church shirts of some sort. And so I got closer, and I don't want to get weird staring at people, you know, yeah, right? I didn't want to be that way. And, but their back, so their shirt said something, and I was reading it. And you know what it said? I, um, I actually don't have it on me. But it, it was from Ecclesiastes, I think it was in chapter 4. And, and, it, and it was before the cord of three is not easily broken. And, and it talked about the strength of two. Because if you're on a journey and you're having trouble, you have somebody to pick you up. Ecclesiastes, you can look it up. And I just thought, Wow. The whole word is saying this to us. Don't go alone. Go with somebody. You're better together. And, and I, I just love that. that, that in the middle of the a day yesterday, God would just show me, hey, look at this. Look at, see, it's all over the place. I send groups. That was a big group of people, by the way, that went to Holiday World yesterday. And so we have this kind of, this... Um, witness from Jesus' own ministry that this is the normative practice. This is the way it always should be done, that you don't send a person in and out there by themselves. Matter of fact, look what it said at the end. It said, I'm sending you out like a sheep among wolves. I mean, what chance does one sheep have among wolves? Two, the odds aren't very good. But one, there is no way, you know? And so I just want you to see that Jesus and the way he sent out, look what it says, the harvest is plentiful. When he sends his workers out to the field, and he says, go ahead of me two by two. All right? So we got, in the beginning, God made us in his image, right? Everyone has something to offer, and he's sending us out together. That's the way the, world, the, the um, kingdom of God works. That's the way it works in this world. Now we're going to get to our main text, 1 Corinthians 12. And, uh, you know, it's this truth that we serve together. And you've heard this text before. You've heard, you've read this before. You've heard it. And we're not going to go through everything we couldn't if we wanted to. But I want to just hear the word. You know, the, one of the things that, uh, again, the Bible informs us, it says, is don't neglect the public reading of the word and the preaching and teaching of the word as the people of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to hear it with me today. 
chapter 12, uh, verse 12. says this, the body is, are you, are you guys there, by the way? I don't know if I have it up here. I'm sure it's on the same page, seven. No, I don't have it up there. Seven, whatever it was, 797, it's the same page. All right, here we go. The body is a unit, one unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form only one body. So it is with Christ, because we were all baptized, here's his language, this is Paul, into one spirit, one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. This is the same thing he was just talking about, we just read it a moment ago. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts, and this is just very straightforward thinking here. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. I don't have a purpose. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. Or if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing come from? Do you hear what the word is saying today? If everybody was an eye, where would the ears, how would we hear anything? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged, listen, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Because if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we are thinking, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. (coughs) Excuse me. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given great, greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. You hear what it says? If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is talking about us. I mean, I want to get very practical. This is talking about the, the big C church, for sure. Unity in the body of Christ, for sure. But also here, that every part is arranged by God himself. That every person that has the gift that God has given them for the purpose that he has for you. And, and we are all arranged in such a way that we not only make up the body together, but we need one another to do this properly, to do this effectively. And so you've all heard this before, but I just wanted to, to again, listen and, and realize that, that in this way, we, we are all doing our own little thing, but together we're doing a big thing and God's doing it. It's not, that's why it's not about any one of us, you know? And I feel like I'm re- just repeating this over and over again in some ways, but I think that the culture of the church of Jesus Christ the culture of people who believe that Jesus is their Savior and their Lord and their Master is such that we actually believe he saved us to go and watch someone else perform, to watch someone else do something, 
And at the very most, at the very most, what we might do is kind of be in the peripheral and kind of watching from the edge of the crowd like, and we could at the very most hope to say, hey, that was cool, I was there. But God didn't intend it that way. God intended us, you and me and every believer, to be right in the middle of it. To be, to be saying instead of, hey, that was cool, I was there, to be saying, hey, this is cool, God is here. And that's quite a shift. What I'm saying is that a life in Jesus Christ, this being the church for Family Bible Church, isn't a spectator sport. And I'm not chastising anyone here. I'm really not. Because I believe that you're being faithful to what God has called you to do. And I'll even say this. The gift that God has in you isn't even about Family Bible Church. It's about the kingdom of God. And so even if you say, well, I can't exercise my gift here. I can't. But you better go exercise your gift because God gave it to you. And he expects you to use it out there in real life. And so I don't want to turn this into, oh, we need more people to push the piano around because that ain't the truth. You have a unique gift that God has given you and you ought to, as a follower of Jesus, you ought to respond and use that gift. Now, if, I, I want to go back to Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians 3, 18. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. I'm just going to pull up the key uh, verse here. If this thing will go, and I did it right. Yeah. The church has a major role. So this thing about, about following after Jesus isn't a little thing, and it's not a thing about you. It's a thing about us, and it's a thing about him, us following him, right? And so in this way, then we start to look at things differently. But I want you to see what the word of God says about the church. Because we can think very small about it. We can think the church is just here, you know, to provide an opportunity in case somebody in the community needs something. We can say the church is just here that, so we have a place to gather on Sunday mornings and sing some songs. Or, you know, listen to me speak. Or to whatever else you want to do. You know what? We think that church could be here just so we have a place to take our kids and hopefully they'll come out okay. The church is more than that. And in the the book of Ephesians, this is Paul writing again to the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says. I'm just going to pull up the key verse that I want you to listen for in here. But I want, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I'm going to read it. He says, although I, Paul, right, am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. What Paul is saying is that this is the time that Paul has been invited, the least of of anybody, Paul says, I was invited to share this unsearchable riches of Jesus that were hidden in God until now. Paul got to say something new about the God who made everything, and it was that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, and he preached that gospel to Gentiles and to Jews, and he made it plain. But I want you to hear what comes next. He says, all these things were kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, God's intent, Paul says, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So that's pretty cool. Like he's saying that this church stuff ain't a little church thing. God is making the manifold wisdom of himself known through you. Through you. But I want you to see what comes next. We think, I think, well, 
cool, we're going to display the wisdom of the world for all of our friends and neighbors and all the other, you know, human beings. And listen to what it says. That through the church of Jesus Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. What he's saying about the church, which is amazing, is that when we use our God-given gifts to, as manifestations of the Spirit, when we just let God instruct us on who we are and who we're not, and we're comfortable being who we are, the heavenly realms are shown his glory. The, the, the eternal battle, it takes notice of you in the kingdom of God. The eternal battle takes notice of us as the kingdom of God. That's a big thing. And it's all just us doing our little part, our little part, okay? And so this is like not a little church thing. This is a big church thing. And all we got to do, and I don't want to make it too heavy, all you got to do is your thing. Just do your thing. But there's some very practical implications for this. And I hope that as a body here, Family Bible Church, you and I, can start to do this. And here they are. Four real quick things, right? The first is this, that we have, we can admit that we can't do it alone. You know, that you can come to me or I can come to you or some one of you guys can come to the other one of you guys and say, I can't do this by myself. I need some help. And that has to be okay. But don't come as one who has nothing to offer because you do. You've been giving something, just not everything you need. So the truth is that we can come to one another and we can say to one another, I can't do this alone. We need to do this together, this church of Jesus Christ thing. And the second thing is this, that you and I can begin to see value in others. Because that's the true arrogance of thinking that we can do it by ourselves, that we look at brothers and sisters that God has created in his own image, that the Holy Spirit is conforming to his own purpose, and we look right through them because they offer nothing to us, which is a lie. I hope that we can begin to see in one another the actual gift of God. I hope that we can identify that value, that purpose in one another. The third thing is that in this place, you know, it's really funny because it says if two people go out, you know, one will fall and one will get up. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves, right? But two sheep, and I don't know what two sheep say, like, oh, the wolves are coming. And the other sheep goes, oh, the wolves are coming. The truth is they're both going to get eaten, except for Jesus. And so even in this place of going together, we rely heavily on Jesus Christ together. Later on, Ecclesiastes says, the strand of three is not easily broken. And whenever it's you and me and Jesus, well, now we're going somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we can look at each other and say, you know, we don't have the answers. We can rely on Christ himself, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what the word says, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and we can rely on him. And then the fourth practical implication for us so we can don't do it alone, we see value in others, and we rely on Jesus together is that we live out our giftedness. That's, that's awesome that we can do that. That we live out our giftedness. 
And that means for the positive and for the negative, meaning that you say, yeah, I'm gifted, I'm going to do that. And the community identifies that gift and you praise God and we will just, you know, encourage you and fan that gift. And then there are some things you say, That's, I'm not gifted in that. And now the community might say differently, but we've got to listen to each other. But there are some things that we want a brother or a sister to do that they ain't supposed to do. It's like the warm body syndrome. We just need a warm body. No, we don't. We need the very person that God has called and equipped into that role. That's what we need. So the fourth thing is that we can live out of our giftedness. I want to wrap this up with Jesus because we, he is the author and the perfecter. He's the beginning and the end. And I made these word choices very carefully because as I was praying through this, I thought, oh, this is crazy. You know, I said, Jesus did not do it alone. Well, yeah, he did. You know, he said on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. He did all the work. There's no more salvation to come except through Jesus Christ. There's no more blood to shed except through Jesus Christ. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, and he is the God's plan for us. But I want you to see that Jesus himself chose to not work alone in his ministry. He made a choice about that. There was nothing that he lacked to do everything he wanted, which makes it very significant that, first of all, that Jesus called disciples to himself. He could have came out of the wilderness and he could have just had the whole world eating out of his hand, but he called men and women like you and me to follow him and be his people. I want to remind you of a story about when he went up to a mountain. He took, uh, I think, three guys with him, right? Was it Peter, James, and John? He took up transfiguration to the mountaintop and he gets up there and it's this moment where he's there with God and Moses and Elijah and it's this amazing experience and why did not Jesus go by himself? I don't know. He chose to not go alone. He brought them up and and Peter got crazy but I'm just saying because it's Peter but he brought them along on the journey and it's the gift of Jesus Christ to do that and this is how he works. And then the third that I want to remember, and we're going to close with this, is that in this time of trial, you know, when Jesus had had broken the bread, we heard that song earlier, if you were listening to it, and and, and had shared the cup of salvation with his apostles, his disciples. He went to the garden, the Gethsemane, but he didn't go by himself. You know, the Bible says a lot of times Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. He went up to be with his father to pray. But this time he said, come with me. And he even said, don't sleep, pray with me. Why? Did Jesus need their prayers? Jesus chose to not work alone. And so I think that if Jesus himself goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with the people that he's loved and cared for and developed and poured himself into and asked them to be with him, who are we that we wouldn't? Who are we that we could go and do it all by ourselves? So I want to pray, and we talk about this response time. We're going to have a couple of songs that we're going to sing together. This is about God, not about us. I want to invite you as we're praying and as we're singing in a moment that you think not about your response here, but about your response out there, about your response in your life, about your place in the kingdom of God. Pray with me if you would. Father, we've been so blessed and encouraged today by your word and by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, today, wherever we are on that journey, we know we've heard the first words of Jesus saying, come and follow me. It leaves us without excuse before you that we would ignore him 
as he invites us to at least start following you. And so, Lord, today we give you thanks and praise that we're somewhere on the journey with you and we're following you. And today, Lord, we pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would just saturate us. That the truth that you speak over us would burn away the lies and that you would speak into our very hearts the thing that you would say, this is my gift to you. This is what you can do in my kingdom. And so, Father, we ask for that. And we ask that you would give us the courage and discernment to live out of that and to follow you in those ways. And, and Lord, all this stuff, all this work is, is for your glory and your purpose. And we pray as a church, a family Bible here, that if, if this isn't what you want for us, you would just take us out of it, take it away. Because we want what you want for us. In the meantime, we ask that we be a community that would love one another, worship you, and uh, follow, follow you every day. And so we just trust you with that too. Take our response time as a, a worship offering to you and, and have your way in our lives, Father. We just pray these things um, in your son's name. Amen.